Vacation starts with VA. One thing you'll love about your trip to Virginia is that you'll never have to settle for one thing. All that you love is all in one trip. Start yours at virginia.org. Hey, y'all. Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome to the BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got with me Vicky Jewson. Hello, Vicky. Hi, Stuart. Uh, and what film is it we've uh, we've come together to talk about? It's Born of War. Right then. Now you were the co-writer, director, and editor on this movie. So before we go into any details, will you give us a brief synopsis of that movie? Of course, it's an action thriller about a girl whose parents are murdered and she learns that they weren't her real uh, mum and dad and that her father wants her back and he's a warlord. So it's very high concept, girl with a gun thriller. And it was. And it and it's safe to say, listener, that it rattles along at a fair pace. And as far as storytelling goes, I really, really enjoyed certainly the way that you you set it up and almost you set the audience up because we're, we're not quite sure what's going on in a way. I don't mean that it's confusing to the point that it's it, it, you can't watch what it means. You're watching, going, where's this going? Where where's it going? And it sort of rattles along at hell of a pace, being obviously being an action film. So that's off to you there for getting that. Thank you. Well, I, yeah, I did really want to make an edge of your seat thriller. When you've got a limited budget and it's an independent, you can't just rely on the the big action set pieces. You really have to get invested in the characters and the the journey and make it compelling. So. I'm glad that you you found it that it kept you interested. That yeah, no, I mean the the, the, the pulling <laughs> the pulling us from pillar to post was was very good in 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 the film sense because you were you were kind of right and watch this is what's happening. Hold on a minute, who's this? There, now, right, okay, there we. Oh, right, yeah, and then suddenly you're like, oh, right, yeah, this is where we're going. And even then, further down the line, I don't, I'm not going to give any spoilers away. You know, you then pull other rugs under from under our feet, and you know. Fair play to you. So let's let's talk about making this movie then. Um, you, like I said in the outset, there you co-wrote this with Rupert Whittaker. That's correct. Uh, do you want to do you want to tell us sort of what compelled you to write this script? You know what 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 was what was Born of War's genesis? I suppose it goes right back to when I was probably about ten years old and making James Bond movies in the garden with my dad's video camera. I was always okay. always a bit of a tomboy and loved the action genre. And I've kind of become, as a, as an audience, more and more uh, excited by the female protagonists that are cropping up now in films like Hannah and I suppose The Hunger Games. And there's more of an appetite now for, for female protagonists in action films. And yeah, I really yeah. wanted to tell a story about a, a girl next door who finds herself in a kind of extraordinary circumstance and how she survives. And that just, that kind of switch that's in all of us, it, when, when everything goes wrong, do you fight or do you run? And just to sort of have that as the central theme was what got me interested in it in the first place. 
Yeah, and I think that I think that's a very you know it's a very clever idea. The the idea of you you didn't she isn't our central character isn't you know a karate expert isn't a you know isn't a ex soldier you know she is sort of thrown into the situation. I guess a bit like um, you know Hitchcock's North by Northwest, isn't it? It's like you know ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Exactly, exactly. That's what I was really interested in seeing because, you know, it's, when you've got someone in the full leather leotard kicking ass and they're a superhero, it's not, you can't relate to it as an audience as much as if you could think, oh, that could be me. It, it invests you in the story quite heavily right from the beginning. Indeed, indeed. So, um, what, what's, what's the writing process like between the pair of you? Because obviously two people can't sit at a keyboard together. How does that work? Well, um... I should add that we're married, so it can get quite uh, passionate at times in terms of arguing and throwing around ideas. But what's great about it is, is what we tend to do is we go away somewhere, away from our normal everyday lives and lock ourselves by the sea or something for a few weeks. And we start off by kind of bashing out the, the, the whole story and all the themes and the main character points just on a big black, like on a big whiteboard, all our different major ideas. And then we'll start plotting out the whole film on one piece of paper. And we'll do about five or six different versions of how it could go. And then we'll, we'll settle on one of those. And then we'll card the whole film out from beginning to end, scene by scene. And then we both take uh, scenes that we, you know, that sung to us most when we were plotting it. And we divide them up and sit at opposite ends of the table with our laptops and hammer it out. <laughs> I like that. You have a script off. We do, we do. Yeah, and then we read it back to each other and the voices and everything. It's great. <laughs> so in that sense, then, when, when you're trying out all these different story ideas and when you're committing it to Final Draft or whatever you use, um, what, what, was, what, what were some of the story challenges for you to resolve in the screenplay? With Born of War, it was very much all those different twists and plot turns that you were talking about. Um, mm-hmm. It was trying not to get caught up in them ourselves and, and get stuck, basically. So it's just trying to get the central themes across without getting too bogged down in all the plot and letting the characters drive the action because I wanted it to be a human story and what you don't really want to do is just have it all plot, plot, plot and that gets in the way of learning who the characters are and getting involved in their stories. So that was where we, where we maybe became most stuck was just dividing those lines and getting that sorted. And we were lucky to work with another writer as well who came in and did an edit at the end called uh, Alan Hartfield who's... Uh, quite a successful up-and-coming writer, and he helped us get the structure sorted. Okay, so what, he came in with, like, a neutral pair of eyes, as it were? Exactly, right at the end, and we said, okay, three months, let's take the... These are all our drafts, let's now put this into a structure with you that we think we can then get it made. Okay, right. Now I've established that Rupert is your husband. Um, Him being the producer and line producer, and you being the director, obviously you do like each other. Um. <laughs> on a good day, yeah. <laughs> so now with, with your director's head on and his sort of, you know, budgetary constraints and tight schedules, because uh, it, it's worth telling the listing, you know, there, there, is, there are some fair, you know, fairly, fairly far-flung destinations that you're, you're showing us. I don't know whether you went there or not, but you certainly, you go to places that are not England, that's for certain. Yeah, we shot uh, it in the Middle East in Jordan for two weeks. Yeah, so, so clearly, you know, there's, there's a lot to be getting on with there. So in, the, in that pre-production stage, which aspects of the shoot seemed sort of almost insurmountable for you, you know, when you were looking at what needed to be done and what, what, what was available to you, and then what breaks did you have that, that sort of made that possible? I think the biggest problem... Oh, sorry, it's the office phone in the background. The biggest problem was um, 
trying to find that foreign location that would work for us with our budgetary constraints. Okay. Um, we really struggled to get this film made and to raise the money um, and to make it happen. And obviously when you're trying to do action, there's, there's huge costs associated with that. And one of the good things about Rupert and I working so closely together is that uh, because he's involved in the writing process, he's not willing to sacrifice the quality of the film for money. So it's all about finding the right solution. And I was, I was flown out to a conference in Abu Dhabi um, in, yeah, near Dubai to talk to 300 schoolgirls about filmmaking to try and basically encourage women filmmakers over there. And while we were there, the Jordanian Film Commission had a stand and we got talking to them and they said, you know, whatever your budget, come here. We really want to encourage filmmaking. And we had, therefore, a budget of, I think it was £90,000 and we went there for two weeks and they, it's all set up by the king, the film commission in Jordan. So you get yes, a, yeah. a certificate from the king, which means you can film anywhere you like. You don't need any other more complicated certificates. So that's immediately a lot of freedom. And then we work with the army over there. So we got full access to their special forces, which is quite spectacular, the Jordanian special forces. So we got the helicopters. They blew stuff up for us. We had... Um, guns that we were firing with real army blanks. So it gave it that reality and that scope. And also Jordan, as uh, Amman as a city itself, has such an energy that just being able to shoot there, you know, gave the actors a lot to, to, to work with and gave the film some real sort of sort of life behind what was going on. Wow, yeah. I mean, that, 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 that does give you that sort of ability to punch well above the film's weight, doesn't it, really, with that kind of... That kind of support on hand. and Exactly. And in, in England as well, we were uh, very... Rupert's very good at pulling in deals and favours, and he's very charming. And Oxford, where we're based, we know quite a lot of the people here, and it's a very supportive community. And uh, there's, a, there's a private jet company called Flarejet who uh, sponsored the movie. So they gave us access to the Learjet that you see in the big end scene with the fight on it. And they said, we'd really like to get involved with your film... And so I said, oh, if we could have a shot of someone taking off in the jet, that would be amazing. They went, no, no, put a fight scene on the jet. It's like, you guys, are you guys sure? And they were like, yeah, do it, do it. So we, we had such value from, from them being able to do that as well because that's the sort of thing that would just cost, you know, hundreds of thousands. And then the way we shot it was my dad has a pickup truck. Uh, so we were on the runway at Oxford Airport at midnight being chased by a private jet with me on the back of this pickup truck and the DOP harnessed, harnessed to the roof. <laughs> And they just said to Rupert, just be careful of the wings. You don't want to get that too near the, the, the cab of the truck in case you will get decapitated. <laughs> so it was uh, hair-raising stuff, but that's how we got around not being able to hire the proper rigs and everything and still get that production value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I can, I can definitely assure the listener who's not seen the movie yet that, that, that that's certainly achieved and... And, and it sounds like you know you've, you you try you try to make yourself into it like like the, the action hero behind the camera. Well, I have to say I do find that side of it great fun. I mean, that's that's one of the brilliant things. When when I stood on the rooftop in uh, Amman waiting for the helicopter to come in with the shot of the guy with the rocket launcher coming out the side, and I was beckoning this little bird attack helicopter towards me, and it was as close to me as I suppose about it was about five meters away. You do get this sudden. A swelling of emotion of thinking, God, this is, you know, this is my dream. It's actually happening in front of me. And this isn't something that happens on a normal everyday basis. It, it's, it's great fun. I mean, and pol politically speaking, was there, was there any sort of, um, any sensitivities about what you were trying to say in the movie? I'm not saying that there's any overt messages, but there's certainly, you, you don't necessarily, you don't necessarily say everybody's good, everybody's bad. You know, I think that, that, yeah, that was our main focus was we didn't want to make it political because we wanted it to be a genre movie that was fun to watch. And 
Um, what we wanted to show was that that there are everybody, no matter where you're from or what your beliefs are, there are good and bad in all of us. And therefore, we didn't paint anybody as the archetypal baddie. And we tried to kind of mix with people's preconceived ideas about that in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And what was the process for casting the movie then? So it was quite traditional um, in that we held castings in London with the casting director who introduced us to uh, a load of great people. And in terms of finding Nina, I actually saw her in Skins on MTV and just knew that that was her. I just thought she had this kind of raw mix of vulnerability and sort of spunkiness that could carry off a role like that. Um, so that you could believe her when she's having to fire a gun, but then you could also believe her in her more vulnerable moments when she was learning who she really was and having those character beats. And then we were very lucky to get James Rain on board because he's such a quality actor. Uh, we had to go and meet him in Soho House in London and sort of do that whole Hollywood meet and greet thing rather than an audition. And uh, <laughs> yeah, my only concern was that he was too good looking. But uh, <laughs> I told him that recently and he was very flattered. So <laughs> um, if you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. It, 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 was, it was great. And yeah, you're right. It's like I never thought about it. It was only because of those sort of scenes where he's sort of opposite. But you know, you're, kind, you're kind of thinking, is he or isn't he? And then you're kind of thinking, well, he's not a bad looking chap, is he? <laughs> no, he's, he's got this kind of... Uh real kind of raw manliness about him which is what I wanted for that role I didn't want your average action hero kind of guy I wanted someone that had a bit more character going on um and no he's, he's a good looking bloke definitely and, and, and from your perspective obviously because like you said there with the way you saw the uh, the Mina character working out where you've got you've got the action and you've got the moments of sort of introspection. How, how do, what, what's your approach for getting the best out of your actors? You know, obviously you've got to you've got to wind them up like a like a dog being let off the lead for the action stuff. But obviously you've got to let them sort of express a lot of emotion without doing a lot. Yeah, I think I think a lot of it's to do with just those these kind of key few hours of rehearsal beforehand and talking through the script as a whole together and working out what the, the overall aim of the character is throughout the whole story and then putting those beats in and deciding where they're going to fall within the whole film. So obviously when you're shooting, it's also out of order and out of sync. You need to remember what you're trying to achieve in each scene with all the chaos that's going on around you. And I think particularly with Sophia, the scene where she wakes up and learns that her parents have uh, died, she actually went and rung her mum and dad because they were in New York because that's where she's from and she was feeling a bit homesick and so she kind of tapped into that for that scene um, and it gave it such a raw reality and we made sure that we stayed close so you could see the, the, the tears and the snot, you know, the ugliness of grief falling from her face that we were able to get those moments and I think just leaving the camera sometimes on an actor and giving them that time and we often left a bit of space before I called action when all the crew went a bit quiet I found that once you've got everything up and running, if I gave it a few beats of peace where then they could lose the crew around them, that always helped. Are you hands-on in the sense that you tell them what you want them to do? Or are you more about sort of seeing what they'll do with what action's on the page? It's more, I think it's a bit more organic than that, and that what we'll do is we'll discuss the scene and how their character's feeling and where they're coming from at that moment. And I'll say that, I might say something like, 
obviously for me here, I feel like your character would be very upset or thinking about three scenes before, and it would be really nice to see that come through. But um, uh, it's more subtle than saying, you know, cry here or not there or whatever. Um, it's, yeah. it's much more about finding those beats with them. And then we'll do a few takes and kind of it will naturally evolve from take to take and I'll go in and give some notes and say, oh, I picked up on this moment here, but it'd be really nice if we could bring that out. And sometimes it's about pushing them beyond their comfort zones. And with Sophia, sometimes she had to, I asked her to do something that would feel really wrong. And I said, it's going to feel really wrong, but let's go that far. So then on the next take, we've pushed it so we can then take it back a little bit and suddenly get the right balance. And what about those more physical scenes that with her? Because she's, you know, she's not... She's not the biggest woman in the world, is she? But she certainly, you know, puts up a fight on screen that, that belies that. Yeah, I mean, she loved all of that. <laughs> so, uh, it, it, uh, talking to the stunt teams, and obviously we worked a bit with the army as well in, in asking their advice on a woman in an action scenario. And it's not all about brawn, really. A lot of it's about being quite wiry and being very fit. And she's very, you know, she, she works out a lot at the gym and she does a bit of boxing and she's you know a very she's a physical person she's mm -hmm. not she's not scared to get her hands dirty so she she loved all that side of it and being able to to fire the guns and do those exciting scenes although she did have a fear of heights so the scene where she was dangling outside that balcony five stories up was definitely her worst day on set <laughs> wow so she was she was dangling above the above this above the the ground there at that one she was. I mean, as a director, I really want to see the faces of my actors in those moments. I don't really want to have to be using a stunt person and then it's not you're not getting those emotions passing across their face on the close-up because you can't do the close-up. So uh, wherever possible, I was using the, the actual cast uh, as long as they were happy. So she wanted to do it, but it def she was definitely being pushed outside of her comfort zone, bless her. So, I mean, could, could you talk more about your experience of shooting in Jordan then? Just from, because obviously that's obviously completely foreign to you. I mean, shooting in England would be, the, the stuff you shoot in England, I guess, you know, as much as everything's a challenge, would be far less challenging than, you know, that kind of two weeks and the clock ticking, we've got to get what we need to get done while we're in Jordan. How was that experience? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was really hardcore. We had to film, we were filming seven minutes a day there, which is a lot when you're doing action. And I was probably awake 22 hours a day, we'd be sort of shooting and then a lot of things would go wrong. So a lot was out of our control there because we we're dealing with so many different elements. So I guess an example for that was um, we'd shipped over all our explosives and they're all sitting in customs. Um, and then the Jordanian army said, no, you know, you can't use your explosives. You have to use ours. Um, and we had this whole chase scene through the city and they said, you're going to have to do the explosion in the desert. So I suddenly had to work out how to, connect the two without it looking really terrible. So there was a lot of kind of late night storyboarding and watching back of the footage to see how to connect things together to work with what we had at our disposal. But um, in, in terms of filming there, it's, it's really progressive, like I said, because you can film anywhere um, mm -hmm. with this certificate. We got into hot water a couple of times. We were, we were shooting on a, a rooftop in the capital with James with a big plastic rifle pointing it down on the street. And suddenly the building was stormed by private police and our cameras were removed from us and everyone was kept on the roof and no one spoke any English. And we thought, oh, my God, you know, what's happened? And we, our fixer was out with our certificate from the king. So we had to wait half an hour for him to come to us. And the moment they saw the certificate, they said, oh, have a very good stay in Jordan. Enjoy your trip. But we hadn't, we hadn't realised that we were pointing, James was pointing the gun down at the Royal Court of Justice 
So they just looked up on their, you know, outside their courtroom. They'd had a protest the other day before and they saw this gunman. And so obviously they thought, oh my God, what's happening? So that, that's the only downside to not having to tell anyone what you're doing is that you can get a few interruptions. Um, but it's got a fantastic landscape in Jordan as well um, because you've got the cities and then you've got the deserts and you've got huge mountains and it's really beautiful. So you can get some fantastic landscapes. We had a, had a nasty uh, location where we were filming on a farm and when we'd wreckied it a few months before, it had all been very peaceful and lovely and we turned up and it was all covered in plastics. They were growing tomatoes. So immediately it changed how we could shoot it and then it was covered in flies. So we all had to wrap ourselves with scarves because otherwise you just had flies all over your face for the whole day. See, there's, there's the glamour of filmmaking that everybody doesn't talk about, isn't it? Exactly. Oh, yeah, and being told to watch the open latrine because it had a few scorpions in and not go near it because that's where the farmers did their business. <laughs> it's very glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually quite outrageous, though. <laughs> it's, just, it's just, you know, a foreign environment and the location we picked, so we just, yeah, you just have to go with it on the days. You don't have time to find somewhere else, so you have to make it work. I mean, looking back on the, on, on the shoot, then what do, what do you feel was your uh, your sort of big achievement from yourself? Obviously, the film being being the major achievement, but within within the film, what was what did you feel was your? I I think uh, it's a kind of combination of of shooting in that really intense environment where I really had no opportunity to do any planning, um, and then also I edited the film, and I feel that. If I, if I hadn't, I don't know how well the film would have come out because obviously I had this vision and on the day I was, I always knew what I needed to get in order for it to come out right at the other end. And being editing it myself, I was able to then piece it together how I had this vision in my mind and that allowed the film to come out well. And for me, it was a bit of a, it was a bit scary taking on the edit on my own. I knew that it was quite a risk. And so there was nine months of real hard work and, and fingers crossing. And I remember the moment I first cut together the opening scenes and Rupert and I had been debating about whether to bring an editor on board or not. And he wasn't sure if I was the right person to do it. And I called him into the, into the edit suite and I said, look, come see this opening scene. And suddenly it all clicked and we knew that we'd got something really good. Um, and it was really only at that point where we, where we realized it had all paid off. I mean, I mean, and that's interesting you bring up the editing thing because it's, it's, you know, for, for, for most people not familiar with it, you know, a film, a film essentially is made three times, isn't it? You write it, you shoot it, you edit it. Exactly. Um, and, and so how, how were you, I mean, how were you, as much as you had that vision, and obviously when you go back and look at your rushes, uh, that you, you, that you've, the coverage you've achieved on the film, but then start to edit it together and go, okay, this is what we, this is what the movie needs, but that thing that doesn't fit in, that was a dead hard shoot. And, I th and I'd love to get, try and include that in. How did you divorce yourself from, you know, the experience of the shoot and then what the movie needs in the edit? Um, I was just really brutal, I think. I, I definitely was prepared to leave what I loved on the cutting room floor if it benefited the, the whole piece. I was very yeah. focused on the sequences. And when you're editing, you really realise a film is all about keeping your audience watching and keeping them interested. And it's very kind of sequenced. And you really start to understand the structure of writing when you're editing, actually, because you see how it translates through. Um, and I guess one of the hardest points was when we screened it to the sales company that took it on and sold it around the world, Artlight, they came back and said that they wanted to cut 16 minutes out at the beginning for the American market and they wanted to give us some notes on the edit. And I, I, kind of, I was in two minds about it. I was, half of me was like, oh, I don't, know what, I don't know what to do that. And the other half of me thought, oh, this could be quite a freeing exercise. So I, I took 
the whole movie as one long piece uh, as a clean kind of project on Final Cut and I just was brutal and I took it to pieces and it was quite liberating because I divorced myself from being so involved and gave myself a bit of a step back on perspective and it did make it a better film so I'm I'm very grateful to them for their notes actually. Fantastic. Now one thing we haven't mentioned is um, release date. Do you want to tell us when this when the film's out and where we can see it? It's coming out on the 1st of May uh, in some cinemas across the UK, um, which we'll have all up on our website. I think it's Liverpool, Dudley, Manchester, Oxford and London. And then on the same day, it's a day and day release, so it will be available on Amazon and on iTunes and to be streamed and Sky and Virgin Movies, I think. And then it'll be in the in the shops uh, to buy on DVD and all the major supermarkets and HMV on the 18th, I think, two weeks later. Brilliant, brilliant. Now, look, one question we like to ask all our guests when they come on is for them to recommend as a British movie. Uh, so what would what would you like our audience to uh, to go out and check out as well as your Born of War? I'd, li- I'd like to just kind of highlight two films, actually, um, from other genre directors based in Britain, because I think making commercial films in Britain is, is becoming more popular, but it's always been a little bit of a hard niche to carve out. There's a film called The Machine... Uh, with Toby Stevens that Carradog James did, which was released probably about six months ago, which was a really intelligent action sci-fi piece. And then there's another one by Omid Nasheen called The Last Passenger, which uh, is sort of Hitchcockian as well. It's got a real sort of pot boiler on a train that's going out of control. Um, so they're, they're the two that I would say to, to point out. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, look, Vicky, thank you very much for your time, for coming on the podcast, and good luck with the release of the movie on the 1st of May. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. If you don't already subscribe to BritFlix, just sign up for free at iTunes, and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at BritFlix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Choose Advanced from the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beet brand for heart health support. The new Superbeats Heart Choose Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, 
and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Superbeets Heart Chews Advance are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Superbeets Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.